This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, Do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. I'm your equestrian host, Javi. <laughs> All right. And this is our second uh, movie that we're doing in this Oakland, tour to Oakland film festival. That we're... Is that what we're calling it? That sounds... <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely the streets not. is going to bully us. <laughs> tour to Oakland. No, I mean, it's just it's the second of our five films that we're that we're covering here in this series and uh ah, fuck it let's go tour to open i don't care <laughs> um no it's just it's i'm excited to see this because this is one of the movies that i'm watching for the very first time in this series to see 2018 uh film directed by boots riley called sorry to bother you starring uh lakeith uh, stanfield this film has quite the cast, actually. Not just, I mean, I love Lakeith Stanfield, um, who some uh, listeners might remember from the opening scene and, you know, pivotal scenes from Get Out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, this movie has, like, Tessa Thompson, has Terry Crews in kind of, like, a bit role, has uh, Danny Glover, um, has Steven Yoon in it, too. Like, yes. Yeah, army hammer if you're into you know people that eat other people how appropriately cast is army hammer in this movie in hindsight oh my god (laughs) (laughs) who knew that weird you know creepy weirdo army hammer would like fit perfectly as steve uh steve lift yeah that he's like actually creepy weirdo in real life who may actually be a human monster method acting <laughs> <laughs> um no what's yeah the cast in this is absolutely impressive like to the point where i'm very curious as to what the budget is on this movie <laughs> because uh, for for a movie that really does feel independent mm-hmm. like it has such a like it's it's a, it's a it's, seriously dude it's a freaking all-star cast <laughs> want do you want to know how much the how much it was how much budget was 3.2 million that's really impressive yep i mean it's definitely a high budget movie anything over you know a couple million is is high i guess but but yeah it's it's the fact that you could secure this kind of funding for this project is incredible and this is a total sundance movie like that was the thing i think a lot of these people i think a lot of the people attached knowing they were making a sundance movie and knowing that this is going to be a festival film and i think didn't really expect to make much off of it, so they were probably already taking points on the back end. If I had to guess, like that's the only way you can sign on a lot of these people. Yeah, uh, they were filmed. They they filmed this movie in 2017, and I guess the original choice for the star of this movie, uh, our main character's name is going to be Cassius Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally was set to be Donald Glover, uh, but due to according to IMDb, but uh, due to due to filming commitments that he had with solo uh he wasn't able to do this film and he actually mentioned to boots riley 
that he should cast uh, Lakeith Stanfield instead, who was his co-star on Atlanta at the time. Mm, I still haven't seen Atlanta. I really need to. And it's funny because every time it comes on in conversation, I like I'm. I, it's the same conversation I have with myself. I'm like, I need to watch it. Atlanta, Atlanta, in some ways, does fit this in that it's just like it is a. <laughs> it's like a a uh, work, you know, a film or television that is supposed to capture the kind of essence of a city and at the same time has like fantastical elements that exist in it. So mm-hmm. it's it, it it fits in this pretty pretty well. The next thing too is that this movie was shooting in Oakland pretty simultaneously to the movie where we're going to talk about next episode which is going to be blind spotting. Mm-hmm. Um except they're just shot in like different parts of Oakland. So <laughs> it, it's a, it's going to be really cool to jump from this movie to next week's movie. And uh, again, it's just really cool that we're like jumping into basically indie film land for the next few weeks. Like we are, we are out of, you know, superhero horror, like kind of like these bigger budget box office movies. And we're in these now smaller budget slice of life movies. But again, slice of life movies that cover you know that are that are filmed in places that we know uh besides the fact that this is filmed besides the filming of this in oakland um there is one which is supposed to be the quick stop which is a it's a you know well regarded oakland establishment from years ago Mm -hmm. um but they actually the quick stop i think in this movie and blind spot if, if i'm not mistaken are actually filmed in Richmond uh, at a place that used to be called the Pup Hut, but now is like a, it's like a taco shop now. Yeah, <laughs> and I, actually, I actually know the people who own who own that place. But yeah, it's again, it's it's here we are, you know, seeing places that we oh no film. no way you know the people that run on Tucan. Well, might as well give them a bump. Shoot, I, I mean, I love that place. I mean, I I I know I again you know I know people who know them. And I actually have met them a couple of times, but I don't know them mm-hmm. well enough to. It's it's a landmark, right? Like it's it's a place know, where I, yeah, if you I live mean, in if you live in the city in Richmond, like you recognize that place. Right next to my favorite drinking establishment, the Factory. <laughs> That's right. I'll give them a shout out. They can get a they can get a, they can get the do like movies bump <laughs> as long as they give us those sweet sweet kickbacks. Yeah, that's not gonna happen. Shut up! You're so negative. <laughs> God. This is why you're. That's you've why seen, you would never make it in my Equus Sapien society. <laughs> I guess my question is: uh, When's the first time you saw this movie? I remember back in like 2019, 2018, like when the movie was barely like making its rounds. I just remember it being like set in Oakland. And I found it very interesting, and I was just for that, like actually like filmed in Oakland and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, cool. Like I remember seeing it on Hulu, and I'm like, I'll get to it eventually. Mm-hmm. And then finally, one day, I was just like, screw it, I'll put it on. And a lot, like it is, it is a, quite an experience, and I can't wait to talk about it. But it's one of those movies. Th- this is a very good film um, for conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it does a really good job of conveying some themes that uh, gets you talking, and especially at that time. Um, you know, I'm starting my own personal career and kind of I'm not equating myself to like uh kind of what what Cash's experiences in this film, 
But it's one of those things where it's like you do kind of find it relatable when you're starting a new job and you're kind of debating between, you know, at the time I just left a nonprofit organization uh, to go work for uh, county government. So I was just like, oh, man, I feel like a sellout for leaving my old agency. But at the same time, like. It's not like I'm leaving because I'm taking a corporate gig, like I'm taking a government job where I'm still going to be helping people. <laughs> so I remember at that time kind of feeling a weird, um, like like it really resonated at a time when I was trying to find a lot of purpose in my life. So I remember the the first two thirds of this movie were full, were really hitting kind of like what what I was experiencing at that time. And then the last third of the film. <laughs> and then it gets insane but i can't i can't wait to talk about that but yeah i remember i caught it in uh i caught it on hulu in its initial run and i was just started telling everybody like yo you should check this out it's wild all right so um yeah we can go ahead and get started i guess get into this movie so uh the movie kicks off with uh uh cash who's our main character uh who lives in his uncle's garage right Mm-hmm. Um, with his girlfriend Detroit, played by the you know fantastic Tessa Thompson, mm-hmm. um, and he lives basically in a garage studio, which it's so you know kind of funny, right? Um, he's clearly one of these you know he's clearly a guy who can't really make rent. He's living well below the poverty line and can barely afford to pay rent in this studio apartment which you find out is actually owned by his uncle Sergio played by Terry Crews um <laughs> I, I again this cast is crazy I um, love when I love when Cash is like getting ready for for his job and like Terry Crews is yelling at him through the window and he's like when are you gonna give me my money and you're expecting him to be like you know, it reminds you very much like Peter Parker being hounded by the by the landlord in Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I love how only in movies does it work that way, where you can just like comically run away from your landlord. And then, oh, like, absolutely. In, and then in real life, it's like you just end up getting like the sheriff's the department called up. Yeah. <laughs> you then end up just changing the, the, the locks on you when you're at work. But I just love the part where he's just like, you see, that's the problem. People like you own everything, and then you expect us to live on the outskirts. <laughs> and he's like, "Bitch, I'm your uncle." <laughs> I, I do, I do like the fact that yes, it's like it, he is a landlord, and landlords are evil, you know, for the most part. And uh, but you know, hey, the, sometimes you just know people who happen to be landlords, and you know, they're not trying to just be there to dick you on rent. But, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, yeah, it is the world we live in. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, it's a really, you know, good. it's an interesting theme that this movie really battles with. I think the difference between something like this and what we were watching, well, last week in terms of just like kind of the visual language of something like Fruitvale Station and what we're going to see next week with the visuals that you'll see in something like Blind Spotting. This movie makes a real focus on just like the fact that when you are driving down certain parts of Oakland, like you are going to pass by lots of homeless encampments. Um, and it's and it's so pronounced here. Like, I mean, typically it's like you shoot movies in Oakland, you kind of just pick 
like travelogue places, right? Like places that look nice on posters and postcards. Um, whereas this like will actually show you, yes, you'll see places that you recognize if you know the city really well. Um, but you'll also get this, like it, it gives you an unflinching view of, you know, all the homeless encampment and all like the, the harsh reality of the giant socioeconomic divide in, uh, in the city and in this oh, area, absolutely. this region in general. Yeah. And it, they don't, you know, I love that this movie doesn't shy away from that. Like, you know, there's a, there's a part where they like, they're going to the bar like later at night uh, with, co- or, you know, later at night with coworkers and, you know, they're parking right next to a car that you can totally tell someone's living in, you know? Um, and then you pair that with, um, I forgot what street, like, you can totally see where Tessa Thompson's, like, um, she's, like, uh, doing the sign spinning. I'm like, yeah, I've driven down, I've driven yeah. by that street to get to Hood Slam before. <laughs> or, you know, there's certain parts where you're like, yeah, I've been on International in front of the Cesar Chavez, like, cultural center. Like, I've I've seen those spots. So I do, like, I, I yeah, I like what you're saying. Like, yeah, there's a lot of recognizable Oakland places. But yeah, they do not shy away from how how difficult it can be to live there too. Like, just yeah, just really capturing that kind of gritty real realness to it. Um. Yeah. So he, he in this cash ends up getting a job, you know, to try to help pay his way, and uh, he becomes a telemarketer for a company called Regal View. Um, and really, I, this is what I remember in the trailer. Like, I never watched the movie, but I do remember the trailer, which was all about this guy finding his white voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all I knew about this movie before I'd seen it was like Keith Stanfield's in it, Tessa Thompson's in it. Um, he has a white voice, he is a telemarketer, mm-hmm. and it takes place in Oakland. Those are the only things that I knew about it. And in this, really, you know, as what you find out is that you know mostly he gets paid on what his commissions are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a very gloomy portrait of like you know this kind of call center life, which is fair because mm-hmm. that is really what it's like in the real world. And um, as far as the first half of the movie goes, you're thinking this is going to be a a movie about kind of cultural identity, right? Mm. At least that's the vibe I'm getting because of the fact that you and I have talked about code switching. We've talked about um, we have to code switch at work or we've had to code switch depending on what environment we are and how that's something that, that's something that, well, everyone experiences at some point, it's not as drastic as it is in communities of color, right? Where we got to change things including like our dialect we got to change our accents we have to change just the very way we sound so like the whole idea of finding a white voice i totally related with especially someone that had to do cold calls at an old job where it would be difficult and you had to be as disarming as possible (laughs) Mm -hmm. and for me in my head i'm like disarming yeah that sounds like sounding like a white person (laughs) It would to me what it makes me think of is, and I've read articles on this before, but it's like this this kind of idea where when you're someone who grows up a local and you see basically a changing face in the city that you live in or in the area that you live in, and being someone who's now an adult and I work 
you know, in the tech industry, I've worked for startup kind of companies before. Um, I work with a lot of people who are transplants, who have not lived here, have not grown up here. And it there is complicated feelings about that when you're working in companies, in offices with people who, who aren't from, you know, the area who have a certain idea of what they think the area is like and it's not the same as what you live in and it's just like this weird thing where it's like you work with certain people that are at one financial level and you're at another and it becomes very clear that like there's certain it's very hard to get to you know some of these spaces and there's a guilt too that like you know being someone that like where you almost feel like you're contributing to the further displacement of your friends and family by working in the industry that is slowly destroying your neighborhoods. Yeah, and it doesn't help when you have a cousin that constantly yells at you that you're a sellout. <laughs> I never did that to you for two years. <laughs> um, you know, the the movie starts picking up a bit when Cash meets his co-worker Squeeze, uh, played by Steven Yoon, who is um I guess kind of like a union starter. It sounds like he goes uh he, he's really involved involved in the labor movement and tends to take these jobs in like un uh unionized uh offices uh with the aim of starting uh kind of unions and recruits the essentially recruits all the workers to join. Mm-hmm. Um and this happens to coincide with the same time that cash really starts. Uh, becoming successful as a telemarketer uh as seen through the hilarious montage of him high-fiving his boss for like you know two minutes (laughs) (laughs) and um i love you know that it gets to the point where uh cash organize or where squeeze organizes the you know the entire office floor to stop production for the day um by essentially telling everyone to put in their phones down at all at the same time and refuse to work for the following 20 minutes. Um, and Cash begrudgingly joins. By this point, his friend Sal and uh, his girlfriend Detroit are completely uh, bought in on the movement as well and are all for it. So while they're all passionate and involved in the movement, uh, Cash is feeling a little um, outside of it. So he uh, he begrudgingly joins the movement at three o'clock when the boss comes out and starts cussing everyone out. Uh, Cassius ends up getting called in by uh, the floor boss. And before they can say anything, I love that he just starts going, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. He goes, you guys are going to fire me. You go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> like he just doesn't know what to expect so he like preemptively starts like burning every bridge imaginable <laughs> i was like at that moment i was like man i totally feel like i get i know i i get that feeling i relate mm-hmm. to cash so much <laughs> but they reveal that it's not that 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 uh Cassius isn't actually um fired that in fact he's actually getting promoted seeing as how he is one of the company's power callers i think that's what the the term they use Mm -hmm. 
And um, even though he participated in the pro, uh, protest, um, he's being moved up to another floor and that he will no longer essentially be affected by whatever's going on uh, to his friends and everyone he met uh, at that opening floor at Regal View. Mm-hmm. And it's up there where he meets Mr. Blank, uh, who's played by Omari Hardwick. Mm-hmm. And uh, a really interesting character. Uh, Mr. Blank, we're not, I refer to him as Mr. Blank, but that's because the, the movie beeps out his name the entire, the entire <laughs> film. Yeah. And in fact, he's even credited as like Mr. Blank line mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the film. <laughs> and I don't know, his character is really interesting. It sounds like he's, uh, like he's been a power caller, he's been part of Regal View for a while, and that he is kind of like the token black guy on that office there. Um, and that the interesting thing is what the you know, and I think uh, Mr. Blank tells him this is when they get up to the next floor from now on, they can only use their white voices when they're uh, you know, from the moment they get in to the moment they get out, which I I found really interesting. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's the further you move up the corporate ladder, the more scrutiny you'll be under. And and really, you know, the more you're expected to be, act, and look a certain way. And this is where you find out that Regal View is takes on uh, telemarketing contracts for, like, military defense firms nah. and works with what is essentially a stand-in for Amazon called Worry Free. Mm-hmm. And the idea is like worry free is this conglomerate that's kind of like a mix of Google and Amazon where people live at their job and they're happy and they they all they don't have to worry about uh about um you know food or shelter because they live at their job and they just wake up and go to work and then go to sleep. It absolutely reminds me of pre-pandemic TikTok videos that I would watch of people who like worked on Google campuses and basically like lived in their vans and would, yeah, exist to work. You can go like if you work at a campus like Google or certain, certain of these big tech company campuses, people would really, they can shower in the office. They can, you know, they can use the office for all of their, uh, you know, necessities and stuff like that. They would get meals. You get your meals a day. And absolutely, you're expected to be working there all the time. It's crazy to think of something like that now as we move post-pandemic. And I mean, I know a lot of companies are still doing in-person work Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But being someone who works completely remote um, um, post-COVID, it's really weird to remember like a time (laughs) <laughs> like this even though we all knew it existed and we all lived mm-hmm. it like it is just yeah we all used to commute to work every day we used to work long hours every day <laughs> and it is such a like it's... well pre-pandemic we thought that was cool we thought it and like because we have a couple other buddies right that they have a couple they they work like campus on certain like tech campuses right mm-hmm. and they've told us how awesome those are and it's like there's so many amenities, but it's like none of those guys would ever trade living at your job for their day to day life. No, <laughs> you know, like it's one of those weird things how we all kind of bought in and drank that Kool Aid. That's like, oh wow, that's a cool option. 
not realizing how terrifying it is in practice or you know when you really think about like oh this company expects me to just treat my job like home mm-hmm. and it it's so ugh, this is such a late stage capitalism scheme. right <laughs> but you know it's 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 important to look at this stuff because i think as much as we get roasted by gen z for you know maybe how optimistic or how easily uh we were pleased or you know satisfied with the kind of amenities that we were given in work it really was the only way we knew how to work Mm -hmm. and um you know what watch a national tragedy unfold before your eyes when when you're 10 years old and talk to me (laughs) bastards well and then also like when you're someone like me who is just turning 17, 18 years old or just starting college and you're in a major financial collapse, like wondering if, you know, your entire family is going to lose their jobs and livelihood during mm-hmm. a economic collapse. It was tough, man. It, it, we, and we really were expected to go back to school every day mm-hmm. and act like nothing happened. And, and not then, freak know, out like you could lose your home on any given day or or, or just in general being freaking being lied to that the American dream is bullshit. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like now we're 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 definitely confronting some of these things uh, in a way that we hadn't before. And now I think the next thing that we're gonna really confront is just how tech doesn't have anywhere near kind of like the it d- doesn't feel like it has as much of power as it did like just a few years ago. Like you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like companies are losing finance like they're they're not getting finances as much as they were pre-pandemic we're gonna move to texas all right fine <laughs> we're one fucking snowstorm away from your infrastructure collapsing but go for it well we're, we're it's gonna be interesting to see what happens here in the next several years now because so many companies have now moved away from the bay area and there are a lot of places like just specifically somewhere like downtown Oakland mm-hmm. where just a few years ago, like around the time that this movie was coming out, it really was a like busy area where people were working every day and commuting and it was like busy, busy, busy. Whereas like now I do still have an office that I go to uh, in downtown Oakland once every week or every couple of weeks and when I go there, it's dead. When mm-hmm. I get on the train, trains are about a third full as they used to be. Uh, the office is empty because even on a good day, only 10 people will probably go into the office if they need to. Um, and, and we're just rethinking how workspace really works, right? Mm-hmm. And and I mean, everything I do work can be done from home. And yeah, right. Like my entire job is making sure that people can work from home like that is that that is my that is what it's contingent on now so it's just it's interesting that this i didn't realize that this movie was going to be so much about labor and so mm. much pro union that it is cool to 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 just to really go with it because it, it is very much you know how i feel unfortunately mm. i don't work in a job that has union and uh, a lot of jobs in the tech sector don't have unions i wonder why <laughs> But, you know, my wife works a union job and it, I am very pro-union and worker rights. So it's, it's, it, it's really funny when you, like, I'm not, 
uh, I don't want to get people in trouble. But it's really funny how tense the room in certain job offices get um, when the word unionize comes up. And, like, I've been in those situations where I had someone actively try to union bus mm-hmm. before I even, like, it's even, like, there was any sense of, like, organization. <laughs> like, it's insane how how scared people get of, like, workers uh, collectively, like, getting together, like, mm-hmm. it's, in, in, far, in fact, it's stuff I get off to. <laughs> Anyway, um, kind of, kind of getting back to the movie. Um, yeah. So Cassius start uh, as he kind of moves up in the Regal View and worry free uh, jobs. Um, you know, there's uh, essentially there's um, a lot of pushback from uh, from the labor union movement mm-hmm. accusing worry free of. Uh, of essentially participating in slave labor, which is what it is, mm-hmm. and uh, no longer being comfortable with uh, working with uh, the labor movement, he kind of like stay. Uh, Cash starts kind of uh, pulling back uh, during this time, and you know this is also the time where he starts like really making money. They were he, you know, he ends up moving to a really nice condo in like downtown Oakland, like uh like beautiful it's like a beautiful loft thing like great furniture um has this nice tv i love the i love the scene where you can kind of see through claymation how his uh room transforms from the garage into that uh into mm-hmm. that condo apartment um meanwhile detroit ends up quitting her job at regal view and ends up joining a uh uh, yeah, like this leftist movement called the Left Eye, uh, known for um, kind of having like a black mark under their left eye, uh, kind of on the nose, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, she's like been uh secretly participating with this group, putting up anti worry free uh propaganda like all through different parts of Oakland, um, and it's crazy, like. This movie, I want to watch it again just to catch kind of like the little things because there's a lot of little interesting details that you catch in the background. Um, like for example, there's that a TV show that everyone watches that lets uh like get kicked in the face or something like that, where it turns out it's America's like number one television show at this time. Um, there's a lot of like it's funny like how worry free has very blatantly racist uh propaganda mm-hmm. or uh advertisements uh like they have the one where uh it's like prove to her that you're a responsible baby daddy and it's like the black guy <laughs> sitting on a sitting on a couch uh which then the left eye ends up uh repurposing and making into like uh kind of this more beautiful looking uh mural about take and the message being about taking your power back, but even I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> I was not expecting that. <laughs> it's like such a weird, like the world we inhabit in this movie feels like right before the. Coll- uh, have you ever seen Idiocracy? No. 
No, it's a Mike Judge movie just talking about kind of how the world gets stupider over like decades. Mm-hmm. So this stupid guy in like the early 2000s gets locked in a cryo freezer and he wakes up like a thousand years into the future and it turns out he's now the smartest guy on the planet. <laughs> and Terry Crews is in that movie as well as uh, President Camacho. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but it gives this vibe where it's like this world of sorry to bother you is like idiocracy before it starts falling like before the u.s kind of starts falling apart um but yeah that's another movie i'm sure someone will tell us to review it at one point um but yeah detroit ends up uh making this art exhibit um Kind of like this. <laughs> this exhibit like, is so like nuts. <laughs> where she makes like this spoken word performance where she has people pelt her with broken cell phones and batteries. Yes. Like, okay. So something like blind spotting, which we're about to get into. And I don't want to get too much into it while we're talking about this movie, but it incorporates a lot of interpretive dance and spoken word. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this this does this, but again, it's also there's there's a bit of a slapstick quality to it because mm-hmm. again, like she's just you know asking them to just pelt her with stuff, and it's there's something just a little funny about it where it's like it's like yes, what she's talking about is serious, it is very important and it's critical, and you have to listen to it. But, but again, like yeah, it is. It's a little ridiculous, and and it does and it does like make me giggle a bit. Yeah, like people are throwing paint filled balloons and like hitting her with stuff while she like continues to talk about. I forgot what um what lyric she's doing a uh, spoken word for, but uh, talking about how she's getting by just living off her body essentially. Mm-hmm. And then when Cassius tries to stop it, she ends up getting you know she ends up getting angry talking about how. He should be understanding of this piece because it's what he's doing. It's what he's living. It's mm-hmm. he's putting his own moral, his own moral hangups aside so that he can get paid. Uh, this leads to kind of an argument between the two uh, where uh, Detroit ends up dumping him. And at this point, he just kind of goes uh, full send on, on being a, a Regal View employee to the point where he starts crossing the, you know, the while the telemarketers are on strike, he starts crossing the picket line to get to work. Um, and there's this scene of a uh, one of the uh, protesters saying, "Oh, have a coke and smile, bitch!" as they chuck a uh, like a non, you know, legally distinct soda cola can, <laughs> which ends up hitting him right in the forehead. Uh, which he then has bandage for the rest of the movie. Uh, but this ends up turning uh Cassius into like this internet meme of just like to the point where people are dressing up as him for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. And I was and I, I I was trying to remember if that was like around the same time of uh of which Kardashian was it that solved ra- racism with a Pepsi? Oh, I think that was closer to 2020. Or okay. the, I, I, it could have been around this time. 
Uh, well, it could have been actually, you know what? It could have been around this time. I think 2017 was a lot of the kind of protests that that took place post the Trump election. Mm-hmm. So it might have been that as well. But I, 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 I seriously can't remember for sure. I know it was one of the, but that was the vibe I was getting from mm-hmm. that. And I wonder if that's what they were trying to like uh, make fun of with, with that scene. Um, but yeah, Cassius ends up uh, leaving his friends. He ends up joining, he ends up going to a party with a worry-free CEO and disgusting human being Steve Lift, played by Army <laughs> Hammer. Played by uh, disgusting human being Army Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I you know, obviously Steve Lift is like an amalgam of your tech um tech CEO douchebags, your mm. your Elons and your Bezos and your jobs kind of all wrapped into one person. Um although we don't talk uh, shit. This about was also jobs like much. around the time that we were watching stuff like Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. And it's like in and I fee a few years removed from social network. And I feel like now like the tech CEO is almost something that's like I'm kind of over it now. Like I'm mm-hmm. watching Succession on HBO and there's a tech executive like in the current season that I just it's like I don't know man I feel like I feel like this character it's we're so past the need for it or maybe because I feel like tech CEOs are are a they're 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 pretty good punching bags for for fodder on television and and film so we do so much of it mm-hmm. and then the other one is just like I don't know it's just the losing influence that tech has is like they used to be able to get everything they wanted from everyone. And mm-hmm. even though a company like Amazon still can, or a company like Google still can, a lot of these other tech companies are not, they they don't have no anywhere near the power that they might've had just a couple of years ago. And, and I think it's the fact that they've been the punching bag for the last, what, maybe 13 years. Right. But, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely felt, a little Silicon Valley, like the whole part of it. And really this scene is kind of like where, even though the movie has been kind of doing like some break the fourth wall stuff and, and, and some of it has been, you know, a little bit out there and it felt a little experimental in parts. This mm-hmm. is where it really goes into, you know, the, uh, the surrealism Oh, and like and it, it goes into you know like something like david lynch right mm-hmm. maybe just not as frightening as something as a david lynch but actually there's <laughs> there is one thing <laughs> that we're gonna get to that is kind of frightening <laughs> so it's like cash is cash is a part of this or you know he's in this party he feels very uncomfortable he tries to speak in his white voice which steve uh kind of shuts down immediately and he makes all these assumptions about Cassius being like, come on, you're from Oakland. Tell me what Oaktown is like. Tell me you had to bust a cap in someone's ass. And it immediately, like, I, this triggered me hard. Buddy, buddy, like the amount of awkward conversations that you are not forced, but the amount of awkward conversations you just end up having with white coworkers is is something bizarre it's bizarre enough for me i cannot imagine like you know it's just how out of pocket it gets if you're black dude and this is just us as brown dudes like yeah like as black folks they gotta fucking probably deal with way worse yeah 
or even like friend of the show joey like i don't know if he ever told you that story of when a guy was like oh you don't sound like you're from richmond and joe was like what should i do should i whoop your ass to prove I'm from <laughs> like the weird assumptions you get like people throw at you um from what you know being a part of a certain area or growing up someplace like I remember, I, I think I told you when I was when I was coaching the uh, that privilege team in a uh, not to be named uh, you know rich part of Oakland, <laughs> where one of the kids asked me if I'd ever been in a gang fight because I'm Mexican, <laughs> and I was like, I'm about to be. <laughs> God, I'm <it> was... <laughs> about to be. What's <laughs> on Lokes? <laughs> But dude, it was wild. Um, but yeah, it's like you can tell he's like Hash is just uncomfortable, even to the point where Mr. Blank kind of gives him some advice. Um and then they they make they end up making Cash like rap, even though he says he's not a rapper. Yeah. To the like, and it's just like it's just one of those things where it's like, dance for me, clown. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it's it's there's kind of like a Twitter, it was like a Twitter thread that I was that I was looking at one day, where it you know it points out like just not the not only the awkward conversations that you might be subjected to as someone who's black or, or of color, but specifically black, it's also just the way they react to it that like mm-hmm. that dictates like how things go for you, where like for certain people it's like you have the ability to not really say much or you have the ability to not really respond and it's something that no one thinks about but for some reason when you're black specifically and maybe another person of color or specific and i think women in a lot of cases as well they you know how they react to something even if it's not even if it's by not saying anything at all you'll get poked and prodded about like why you're not being more social, why you don't interact with others, why mm-hmm. you don't play ball. Like it's just weird. Like, yeah, it, it sociologically it, it's, we, it's nasty out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and and I, that's what this scene like makes me think of. It's just like the absolute nastiness <laughs> of, yeah, just some of these places that we work at. And the audacity and, of the people that we work with, where you think it's like, like <laughs> who who thinks of these things, like mm. to ask or to say. Uh, it that's why I love the when he starts rapping and just starts saying n word shit, because it's kind of like a double meaning, where he's like, you know, he's just saying it because he's just trying to get out of this awkward situation. But it's also like give these people crossing your boundaries what they want. And how a lot of times when you're in outside of your own element, that's kind of how you have to survive, where you have to give them. They they want that tragic story that there they want to hear about what it's like about the black experience. So you're just like, oh, you just want to hear like just you know, you just want to hear stereotypical stories. Well, then here it is. Like, <laughs> leave me alone. You get, you got your fucking story. Did not leave me alone. Like, that's kind of how I took that whole rap scene. Um, but it was, yeah, it's fucking wild, dude. It was like so uncomfortable. 
eventually, uh, Cash ends up meeting up with uh, Steve by himself, where they start talking about, um, they start talking about kind of like this, uh, just kind of like big CEO guy bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just kind of like talking about grandisms and shit. Um, Cash just ends up uh, doing a bunch of cocaine or what he thinks to be cocaine. Um, and when he says he needs to use the bathroom, uh, he tells uh, Steve tells him to uh, go down the hall and use the jade door. So it turns out he ends up using the wrong door, going through an olive door. And it, this reveals what I can only describe as a locker room full of horror. <laughs> Whereas he enters, Cassius goes up to a stall. Sounds like someone is kind of like retching, um, and kind of asking for help. So when he goes and approaches the door, he opens it, and out falls this horse person, <laughs> mm-hmm. a genetically modified horse person with a giant cock. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking the fuck out of uh, uh, out of cash at this point, he starts running away, or he tries to run away. Ends up running into more of the horsemen. Um, he ends up getting away, running outside, running into uh, Steve with a gun, um, who makes him sit down and explains that essentially, um. Uh, what's it called worry free it has found a way to uh genetically modify humans into horse people which will give them strength and stamina and speed to do like the work of five people at once in other words trying to like uh boost the productivity of the company which can happen because what's it called um doesn't worry free basically makes people that work for them sign their lives over right? absolutely so technically all this craziness is legal <laughs> yeah they basically opt in to become slaves of this company so a super high as balls steve explains that he understands that these people are going the the equester what was it equestra sapiens uh or equal sapiens are going to, sapiens that's what it was equal sapiens are going to grow and they're going to develop a culture and a society and then it's important that they have a person on the inside to stop them from unionizing <laughs> so the plan is to make cassius the uh figurehead of the equisapiens Essentially, in his words, not mine, Steve wants to create a Martin Luther King Jr. that they can control. (laughs) I'm just like, holy fucking shit. (laughs) This movie took a fucking left turn. It doesn't feel like the same movie anymore. Which uh, which I don't really have a complaint about. Like it it, in many ways it reminds me of like if you've read the books of Gabriel Marcia. Gabriel Garcia Marquez, mm-hmm. which I had like a uh, Spanish slash like ethnic studies teacher like in high school who, who would make us read a lot of his works. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, it, I, I swear I would like, my brain could, <laughs> my brain couldn't process like some of the things I was reading on the page. So, you know, like it's, it's places that you recognize as, as real places in the world. 
but some of the stuff that's happening is so fantastical that you're just like trying to process what you're seeing. <laughs> that's kind of where we're at here, where now we're in a movie about horse people. And uh which by the way, the practical effects for the horse people, fantastic. Fucking fantastic. I love this, it. I, I love this pra- movie. A- this movie looks way better than the budget would suggest. I am a slut for practical effects, though. <laughs> And I think this is where Boots Riley probably deserves a lot of credit, right? Like, I mostly know him as an activist and a musician. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I knew who he was before this movie came out. And, and it just really is crazy to see, like, the creativity and just how visually interesting this film is. And it's, like, much like what we talked about with Ryan Coogler with Fruitvale Station. It's, this is the first a first movie from a first-time director. Mm-hmm. So as um, so as uh, Cash uh, makes this horrible discovery and escapes uh, from Steve's party, um, he is trying to essentially mobilize and get involved in the labor movement again because he wants people to know about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Because these aren't like you know creatures made in the test tube; these are actually people that have been turned into horse people. So he uh, reaches out to his old friends during this time. Uh, Detroit and Squeeze uh, kind of have a fling uh, after their breakup. Um, and while uh, while Cash is having like a breakdown, thinking he's going to become a, a horse person himself, he like invites Detroit over and is like, "Does my, has my cock gotten?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "Why would you start with your dick? Why wouldn't you ask me about your nostrils?" <laughs> and then, uh, but they have like, uh, you know, she believes him, especially after they check a video that was sent from uh, Cash's uh phone, which shows the treatment of the horsemen um in uh Steve's compound, mm-hmm. and so Cash ends up going on to uh. I get well, fuck. I got the shit kicked out of me. That's the name of the show. Uh, <laughs> he goes on air and literally gets the shit kicked out of him. Gets thrown into like a feces pit <laughs> and gets all kinds of like uh, just degraded in all these ways for him to finally be able to show the video of the treatment of the horsemen and proving their existence, which ends up backfiring. Because now all of a sudden, worry free is lauded for its uh, scientific advancements, yeah. and their stock prices go through the roof. And all I can think about is Jesus Christ, how real is this? Yes, how real and grim. Like the fact that it's real, and then like just the fact that it is what would happen. Yeah, the the grim reality of all of it. Oh man. But in a last-ditch effort to save uh, the jobs of the of the workers uh, at Regal View, um, essentially Cash uh, he apologizes to his old friends and uh, kind of reunites with his group and uh, creates a kind of like a, a last-minute plan. He kind of recruits the old football players he knew from high school uh, to come help uh, at the picket line. 
uh, they set up kind of more barriers so that way the uh, mercenary group that's like escorting workers can't cross the picket line, mm-hmm. um, which ends up leading to this giant like brawl, this giant riot between uh, the protesters and uh, the security group, which ends up beating the shit out of a lot of them. Uh, and when Cash is arrested and locked into a truck, uh, you know, he wakes up later that night just kind of to the sounds of people getting the shit kicked out of them by these uh, security guards. Um, and when you see a group of them kind of running off screen in a truck chase after them, you hear a thud. And at that time, I thought that the truck had run over the protesters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, this got way too many. <laughs> yeah, this was and <laughs> this would have been like right coming off of like the Charlottesville protest. <laughs> yeah. where someone did get killed by getting run over by a car. And it's like and suddenly you see the car get pushed back and it's revealed that the Equisapiens um who uh Cash said actually freed earlier in the movie uh came to save the uh what's it called the protesters <laughs> so they end up kicking the shit out of all the security guards <laughs> and they end up freeing uh they end up freeing Cash's leading to that much probably my favorite movie in the movie or my favorite part of the movie where Cassius tries to talk to them and is like he goes i am honored by you coming to save us and he's like i'm from east oakland dog just talk normal (laughs) and that guy was actually voiced by forrest whitaker which was awesome (laughs) so which he did the production again produced fruitvale Mm -hmm. station and there's so much overlap with the movies they're gonna be talking about which is kind of interesting i like it (laughs) i know especially with movies you don't expect to have overlap yeah so the Oquasapiens, uh, along with the rest of the protesters, are able to overpower and kind of uh, free themselves. Um, Detroit and Cash uh, get back together, and they end up moving back to his Uncle Serge's house after saving it with uh, the money he had saved from uh, working at Regal View. Uh, we find out that the Regal View employees have all unionized, uh, and all the telemarketers were working together again, to which... Um, uh, to which Cassius wants to kind of join, uh, join again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they go into the apartment, they start kissing, and back you know, into the mo- old studio, yeah, back to the old studio, yeah, the old studio like, apartment. Everything has gone back to quote unquote normal, except like, <laughs> except the you know, uh, Cash ends up giving the Maserati to, uh, Sal um, to Sal, his friend Sal. That's right, mm-hmm. and that is kind of a form of apology. Yeah, um, because because the the other thing too that I knew about this movie before I watched it was the scene where <laughs> where Cash and Sal are like <laughs> they are uh, fighting by complimenting each other. <laughs> and, we are then, two fine smelling individuals. <laughs> yeah, and it, it obviously it's because they're at that time they're at two opposite sets of the spectrum where. He very much is a sellout, right? So mm-hmm. it's almost like his make good is to give uh is to give his really expensive car um 
<laughs> is to give him his really expensive car and uh now cash is going to go back to his old humble beginnings mm-hmm. and is ditching the cold uh you know sterility of the <laughs> of the gentrifier apartment he's living in mm-hmm. uh to return to sir uncle serge's garage <laughs> and i love that part like you see the picture of his dad change over the course of everything he's been through where it was black and white when he was working at worry free uh with his dad standing in front of the car and then by the end it's his dad like jumping and like doing the heel <laughs> click in front of the mustang <laughs> kind of pro- showing that he's kind of uh finally changed and accepted that you know there that he he is meant for greater things and that it's okay to care about things mm-hmm. uh, outside of yourself um, and after kissing Detroit, he starts screaming in pain. Um, and as Detroit goes and checks on him, the camera pans over him, showing that his nostrils have transformed into horse nostrils. Yes. And then a title card uh, flashing Sorry to Bother You uh, plays. And just when you think the movie's about to go into, uh, is about to go into credits, uh, it's revealed that Cash has rallied the Equisapiens and have broken into Steve's house to kick the shit out of him. What did he say? It's like, I'm Cash Green uh, here with the company of how to stop a butthole in your lap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's the roll credits, and that's our movie. That is sorry to bother you. Yep. So uh obviously I guess the next question is Javi, do you uh like Sorry to Bother You? Oh, absolutely. Like it it's a weird Javi movie. Absolutely. <laughs> it has so many goofy, like suddenly monster elements to it. I thought but I thought as I thought even you though you include the Equisapiens as goofy and as weird as that is and how it can take you out of the movie i still feel like it's 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 it works it works really well in this slice of this weird sci-fi slice of life i think you probably like this movie because and i'll jump in here i do like this movie as well and i probably would go back to watch it again uh, Mm -hmm. for sure um i think Probably the reason why you like it is watching this made me think a lot of Dogma, which we've done on this show as well. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, again, it, it is a movie that like it has it's it has it's a satire. It has targets that it's shooting for. Mm-hmm. And it has this weird, you know, fantastical elements in a, you know, ground in, in a grounded setting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um and, it, and and that's the feeling I got specifically when watching the second half of this. You know, I never noticed it, but you're right. I am also a slut for <laughs> fantastical <laughs> elements and grounded reality. Hmm. And and also, I mean, thematically, it's a takedown of capitalism, and it's a pro. It's a, I like and like you said, I didn't expect this movie to be as pro labor as it was. I thought hmm. this was going to be a movie about the experience of being in a professional world for a person of color and kind of what that was going to be. So I, you know, I didn't expect this to have as much to say on uh, kind of like the state of capitalism that we're experiencing. And also um, 
the importance of consciousness and labor movements. But I mean, we got it. And I think the movie did a pretty good job juggling all these pieces mm-hmm. remaining grounded, but still having these goofy, fantastic elements to it. All right. So yeah, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, it was really fun to talk about this movie and uh, I really enjoyed uh, watching this for the first time. I knew this again. This is a movie that I knew I was going to get to at some point, and but I am very glad that I that I waited until we got to it on the show to watch it for the first time. And uh, next week, you and I on the next episode, we're actually going to switch places because next week we're going to talk about a movie that I have seen and that mm-hmm. I have a lot of uh, affection for, like I, a movie that I enjoy a lot. And the other thing too, besides the fact that this movie is. Uh, it came out around this time and kind of deals with some similar subject matter and takes place in the exact same city. My experience, I, I'm curious to watch it again for the first time since the television series that spins off from it, uh, which I have to admit, I probably like even more than the movie, if I remember correctly. So I haven't seen this movie since 2018 when it first came out. Uh, and we're going to talk about blind spotting uh, mm. next week. So um very excited to see it. Um currently Blind Spotting has like a spin-off series on Stars, right? Um that features uh, uh one or two of the same actors from the movie and um and yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to go back to this again, which I love the series so much. Uh but I do know that the movie specifically we're going to be in another part of Oakland now. We're going to spend a lot of time in West Oakland next week. Which okay. is where the which is where the creative minds behind the film are from. So uh we'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the show. Please continue to interact with us on social media. Uh send us requests for movies you'd like to review once the series is over. Uh so we have stuff that we can get to in the summer. And uh just continue to, you know, give us your feedback on the episodes that we're releasing. Uh give us reviews on Apple Podcasts to help, you know, raise the profile of the show. Uh, give us ratings uh also try to rate the show on spotify if you can and just do what you can to get the word out from the show so that we can continue to grow the audience uh we really appreciate being able to go through some of these movies i i'm very much enjoying uh this kind of like area that we're going into for the next few weeks of this show and i'm enjoying some of the conversations coming out of these episodes like I, I think we, I think we're actually. It's kind of a loose format because we, we. It's just fun to talk about things and places that we know, um, mm-hmm. and I'm appreciating that very much. So, um, thanks for joining us for this episode, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good, y'all.